Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. How do we know what is right or what is wrong if God didn't tell us? The, the Bible is a great historical source for how wildly our morals change. If morality is from God and morality is objective, then why are we naturally so morally you know, opposed to so many of the things that say God does in the Bible. Why were we fine with slavery and now we find it absolutely morally repugnant? Today, there's something a little different. I'm going to be talking about the differences between atheism, agnosticism, belief, why we need to believe and all those kinds of things with Emma Thorne, who's an online personality. She's brilliant. I've been following her for a while. She's a lot of fun and she talks all about religion and conspiracy theories, having believed in quite a few of those things when she was younger herself. We'll both be talking about our own experiences uh, in and around and of and other prepositions. Is that a preposition? I don't even know. Yep, they are prepositions. Uh, all those prepositions around atheism and agnosticism. So that's what we will be doing. She's great. Go follow her. Just type in a YouTube, Emma Thorne. She's really funny. She describes that as British snark. <laughs> um, and we have what I think is a really, really good chat. I hope you enjoy this episode. It can't all be cult stuff. Moving on to some of the belief stuff. Um, and also... This coming Thursday is my episode that I got to do in person with the preeminent Coleman Hughes, where we'll be talking about race and living forever and philosophy and a bit on the royals and stuff as well. Uh, and I think that's a great episode. I'm really excited for that one as well. So I think this is a cool week. I hope you guys think so too. Another point, by the way, as I released a thing about it, but not everyone always sees those things. Um, as of February the 1st, or from February onwards, there's just two episodes a week, Monday and Thursday going up um, on the podcast. And then the third one on Saturday, as well as lots of other clips and stuff that I that I do, just little audio clips that will go on Patreon, uh, will go well, those will go on Patreon. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They'll go on Patreon. So please do go. A lot of you have signed up already. Thank you so much for doing so. Thanks for the support. Glad that you are obviously enjoying the podcast. You just go on there and you can connect it to your Apple podcasts or whatever it might be and listen through that. And then you get ad-free episodes, all of them. So pop on there and it is going to be cheaper, 20% off until the 1st of February. So if you sign up now, you lock in that deal. You get another 10% off if you sign up for the whole year. But now... But now, that's like a catchphrase I do, isn't it? But now, it's probably annoying, actually. I should stop doing it. But now, it's uh, you're on the edge. Yes, you're on the edge of atheism and agnosticism with Emma Thorne. You know what? Emma Thorne, who's on my show now, um, I wondered if you could tell me if I'm an atheist or agnostic. Like, what would you ask me? Ooh, um, that's an interesting question. Uh, well, well, first I'd ask you what you what you would identify as in terms of atheist and agnostic. Okay, I think atheist, but then everybody keeps shouting at me in comments, going, "You're you're clearly an agnostic." <laughs> so then, what's what's next? Um, well, so basically, I usually just I throw this in quite often because this does come up a lot. I throw in the definition of atheism. It's atheism. If you want to break it down, it's the absence of belief in a deity. So most people are atheist. That doesn't mean that you can't also be agnostic and say there could be something. I don't necessarily believe that there's no intelligence outside of our universe or there couldn't have been a creator or something. But if you don't have a belief in a deity or deities, then you're atheist. Interesting. So when you say most people are atheists, then is that true everywhere? Because I feel like in America, most people believe in God, like literally the Christian God. Yeah, I would sort of say within the non-religious community, most people are atheist. Um, even sort of, I mean, amongst people who would describe themselves as agnostic, they probably are also atheist by that definition. But it does it does mean different things to different people, so it's not it's nothing to get too worked up about. 
and yet people do because oh, I get so do. many <laughs> comments. Yeah, that's I mean, what is like the internet for if not to argue profusely over the slight differences and meanings between things? So agnostic. So I suppose there aren't really. An agnostic would be then, would it then be someone who's, say, Christian and sort of believes in the Christian God but isn't sure? Yeah, for sure. Um, or, you know, you could be sort of a, a traditionalist Christian and believe in God but not really believe in the Bible, things like that. It's, there's a huge spectrum when it comes to belief. Um, it's, it's a, I'd say it's pretty much from top to tail a grey area. Yeah, I suppose we're sort of putting people in boxes with the words atheist mm. and agnostic and, and theist. It's hard not to. That The application of labels can be very useful, but in many situations, it's just better not to. <laughs> um, when did when did you first get into or realise you were an atheist? In fact, in fact, take me through your childhood, because I, I saw that there was sort of a conspiratorial aspect to it. There was. So I was a very, I mean, we had... Uh, you know, education here. So I had a big statue of Jesus on the front of my school and we were given little books of Psalms and things. And there was sort of a point when I was very young where it was kind of a given that baby Jesus died for our sins and that's all, you know, well and good. And then as soon as I got sort of old enough to have those conversations and have a bit of sort of personal, rational thinking, I was like, nah, I did. I did. This is one of my favorite child me stories. I did a test. I did an experiment on whether or not the tooth fairy was real by leaving a little note that said, if you're the tooth fairy, tick here, if you're my mum, just angry face or something. And uh, and I got my pound coin or whatever and nobody ticked the box and I was furious. And so that was kind of how I applied logic to all uh, supernatural beliefs. That's so funny. Yeah. Did your mum not, like, if she was pretending to be the tooth fairy, why didn't she tick the she box? She didn't find it. And I think she still feels guilty about it. <laughs> Because <laughs> if she had, you might still believe in I might, the tooth fairy. I might and believe I, in everything. I could have changed it all. See, this will be rubbing some people up the wrong way. And that's not, uh, I don't think, either of our intentions. But like the tooth fairy and equating it, I suppose, with belief in God. The thing is, to me, they, they despite not wanting to rub people up the wrong way, it is a little bit the same thing to me. That Easter Bunny, I, I don't see, I mean, do you see a difference? I suppose the his history and adults believing in it, I guess. I do now. As a child, you you definitely lack that sort of rational thinking up to a certain point where if somebody tells you something is true, you believe it unquestioningly. And for me, that was certainly the same, whether it was Father Christmas, the Tooth Fairy or Jesus Christ. Um, but when you become an adult and devote, you know, I, I enjoy a lot of biblical scholarship and things like that. And then it becomes, you know, a, a more philosophical discussion that is, I, I wouldn't dream of equating with belief in the tooth fairy or something like that. Um, but when you're talking about that childlike malleable state, that anything supernatural is kind of one and the same because you don't have the capacity to question things, which is how I was, you know, in that conspiracy space as a child because you just don't have the capacity to think the adults in my life might not be telling me the truth do you, do you think you, why would they do that <laughs> do you think you believed more conspiracies than than is typical or was it just a standard amount of things you believed when you were younger oh yeah no certainly because um so this was sort of i my staunch atheism sort of crossed over with the conspiracy world because uh it, my dad was a very heavy conspiracy theorist he's not anymore now he's a born-again christian so that was a sort of ah. we did a sort of weird jump um <laughs> <laughs> but uh he he believed in all sorts of conspiracy theories we used to listen to alex jones on the radio we watched david ike uh speeches doing wow. talks yeah all of the properly out there stuff i i made a website when i was a kid about how the moon landing was faked um all of okay. all of that kind of <laughs> of that kind of jazz and it was um it was j again it was just i was at that age where you don't think to question as uh, sort of on that borderline of not being old enough to question somebody like your parent but being in that like i'm learning about atheism and skepticism and i love it and i really want to challenge everything so why would i believe anything why would it make sense to me that the government would lie that there would be these hidden truths and so it was a very strange kind of crossover between skepticism and and 
believing lots of irrational things. I think I'm starting, like, I suppose if I had a philosophy that I live by, it's now everything in moderation, which uh, a writer called Daniel Finkelstein, he he wrote a book, you know, a collection of his essays about that. And I had him on the podcast. And it's such a boring thing to say. But I, I, I do wonder if that's the case, just like, okay, well, you shouldn't believe in everything, but also you shouldn't believe too far the other way. That sort of David Icke stuff. So did you believe at any point then you were sort of atheist, but did you believe in the existence of lizard people? And have I gotten that wrong? Do you know enough about that David Icke stuff now? Yes. So is that right? I didn't believe in lizard people. My dad used to say, for some reason, I've always remembered this. He used to say, apart from the lizard people thing, David Icke knows what he's talking <sighs> about. So we thought he was- Everyone a, says that. Yeah. We thought he was a bit kooky <laughs> in that respect. But otherwise, you know, there, there is this sort of global elite, you know, cabal that's all scheming, whatever- but they're probably not lizards. Everything else is with them, but they're probably not lizards from space or whatever. Um, and yeah, which is an amazing view to have, but I think it's quite common. <laughs> I was always wary of them because obviously the I, I come from a Jewish upbringing mm -hmm. and the, the, the symbolism or the, the underlying idea there is often that it's the Jewish people or whatever. But there could be some like elite people, not necessarily of any particular race or ethnicity who, who do rule things, I guess, that we don't know about. It's difficult because there's elements obviously of you know that is that there there's some things about wealth and power that we know can give people sort of a special status exemption from you know laws and things in some cases so there's there's always that little nugget of reasonable doubt that sort of is in the heart of every conspiracy um it's very it's funny because i um i didn't start sort of processing the whole conspiracy thing until i was you know an adult um, and I was looking at conspiracies for my channel and I was um, talking about how many of them have this anti-Semitic root and some of them have like a slightly different sort of racist root, but it's in the heart of so many conspiracy theories. And I was like, I believed all of these conspiracies, but as a child, I had no idea because nobody said, and it's the Jews that, because it wasn't an outspoken thing, but it's just, it's at the origin of so many of those mainstream conspiracies. And you just, it, it's, so easy and i i wonder sometimes i think if i had kept believing and stayed on this sort of steady road into more and more sort of extreme because it can be quite a gentle slope into extremism in that kind of way i think would i would i be like a kanye now would i you know would i would i actually hold those like hardcore beliefs at the root of them just by staying involved I don't know. It's frightening. That scares me a little bit, to be honest. I guess it's, I, I feel like it's almost impossible not to, because I've always heard with conspiracies that when you believe one, you sort of have to believe all of them yes. for it to add up, right? Yes, they're all extremely mm. deeply intertwined. And I think that's why there's a sort of, there's this, um, I've forgotten who created it. I'll have to uh, let you know later, but there's this amazing conspiracy sort of triangle um, that somebody made that sort of starts with, you know, sort of reasonable could be true and then gets into more extreme and the sort of top layer i was like yeah i i believe most of these and you sort of have to because they are all interconnected like this only makes sense you know like we didn't go to the moon only makes sense if there is some greater conspiracy that enables that to happen and therefore that means this is conspiracy also works and then this and that and so yeah that's why you typically you, you have something that seems sort of harmless like like a flat earth or something but that becomes harmful because by believing that you you're basically wading into oh and now that you're in this community here are all the other conspiracies and you're like well that if this is true that must be true as well and suddenly you believe everything under the sun Except that the sun isn't real. <laughs> Michael Shermer, the conspiracy debunker, he said uh, that, I, I read his book recently, that um, people who believe that the moon landings were faked are also more likely to believe that we built structures that are like secret structures on the other side of the moon. So like you can have this cognitive dissonance where you believe both. Could, could your mind have gone there? I suppose any of ours could. I think so. It's hard to, I mean, it's hard to imagine what might have been, especially because obviously now I am still quite heavily skeptic and i uh i i think i understand how you can sort of fall into these patterns of thinking and therefore a bit better how to get out of them but it's ah oh, it's it's really difficult to know i think for me because my exposure to conspiracy theories was quite limited in that it was my dad who wasn't my main sort of caregiver so then i would leave the conspiracy sort of household for you know months and months and then that would give me time to sort of <laughs> reintegrate with normal society <laughs> and uh 
but I don't know. I I do think if that had been my every day, it's hard to know. It's it's hard to know, but I I think it could have been quite. I think I could have gone quite extreme down that. I I could have the Emma Thorne YouTube channel could today be, you know, like flat Earth videos, and this is this is why the government is lying to you about COVID vaccines. I don't know. It, I I feel like I could have gone there. Because you always... That would have been great. Oh, I just feel like that would be great. No. I don't know why. Maybe it's just like I, I don't expect it of you. Because a lot of the guys, and I'm being, I'm being, I suppose prejudiced. I don't know, but when I've seen the flat Earth, they're sort of older, big men. A lot of them, I've, you know, not I've not seen like a young woman doing that. So I think that would look cool, but you shouldn't do it. There's um, gosh, I've forgotten her name as well. But there's a there's a woman who's very sort of well known and famous in the flat Earth community, and I think part of it is. You might know who I'm talking about. Part of it is she's like a, a normal woman and she's like conventionally attractive and quite well-spoken and stuff. And I think that she's such a rarity is part of why she's so popular in there because it really is. It tends to be people who are quite sort of maybe a bit ostracized, a bit lonely. Um, sometimes met mental health comes into that. I know that a lot of those things were the case when it came to my dad and I was sort of influenced as a byproduct of his, you know, not really having a community or a place. Um, and I see that on some of the, the flat earth and things as well. Where you see their children sort of slowly getting involved. And that makes me a bit, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that private. What's changed? the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. How's the rest of your family with that? And, and how's the, your relationship with your dad? Uh, my relationship with my dad actually deteriorated post-conspiracies due to religion. So, yeah, we kind of, yeah, it's it's difficult. And I don't I don't believe it's his fault. I think he he suffers in ways that he doesn't deal with, um, but that that's sadly often the case. The rest of my family is quite practical. I'd say my my mum is one of those people who would probably describe herself as spiritual, but not religious. You know, she likes I don't know Reiki and crystals and things, but she doesn't put too much stock in them. She just likes them. Um, and then uh, 
you know, the rest of my family is just sort of average, <laughs> average every day. What does the newspaper headline say? That's probably true then. It's <laughs> just, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, very standard. My mum's friend does Reiki um, and she did it on me when I was like 13 and I felt like it probably helped because I think there's the placebo stuff. Sure, there. yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, do, is does, is there any conflict there? Does she sort of, you know, say, Emma, come and have some Reiki and stuff and you're like, you know, mom, I'm not doing it. She knows me very well and she likes she likes some of my videos, so she sort of keeps an eye on what I do. Um, so she she talks to me about those things and it's great. And I kind of say, if you're doing it for you and you're having fun, I always think that's pretty harmless. Um, but if she's sometimes she'll have like a business idea and she's like, Maybe I could she does yoga. She um she's got um a a, a disease, it's like a fast sort of acting arthritis. Um so she has to keep doing yoga and things. Um she's like, Maybe I could you know, at one point, maybe I could learn Reiki and sort of incorporate that into teaching people. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I'll give I'll give her the business about it and she'll be like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's good to know. Um, but you must get some conflict on your YouTube channel, for example. Do you get a lot of angry people? People tend to get angry when confronted about their beliefs. and. Th oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's uh, it's strange because you get a lot of – a lot of the angriest stuff is the sort of knee-jerk reaction – that I don't, it doesn't impact me too much because it tends to be people haven't really digested or, or watched the content even. Uh, quite often I'll get a comment on um, just, you know, me sharing a video on Twitter or Instagram or something like that. That'll be like, you bash Christians. And they'll just always be like, I don't have to say anything. So there'll always be a bunch of replies being like, what? That didn't happen in this video. Did you watch it? What are you talking about? And it's like, because that's not what I actually do. And there's uh, a lot of, religious people within my audience that are you know just as upset at fundamentalism sort of giving their views a bad name and things like that um it tends to be quite even-handed i tell you what it's worse in whenever you get into uh feminism and stuff like that that gets the more aggressive and sort of angry reactions <laughs> that's definitely the the more dangerous area but if you get into fundamentalism crossed with uh, feminism that's that's the hardest hitting i'd say <laughs> god it's just i i you know i try and think about it a lot because you know that like you i'm getting all these comments all the time and i try and think like what is it and they just i think there's so much fear there's so much fear of like what if they're wrong and what about people disagreeing with me and what does that mean for me and, and my tribe so if it's feminism maybe it's like an sort of an incel thing and whatever i've seen you speak about that stuff and i think you do it very uh, you know even handedly and you know because it's important not to think of those people as well i guess as like uh non-people everyone deserves to have their sort of you know, thoughts and their lives and things. Do do you do you find that when you're discussing atheism, are you as interested in debunking uh, other religions as well? I know, I'm just thinking of myself. I know I am admittedly a little bit scared of touching Islam. I've done a couple on Islam, uh, but more stuff on Mormonism and Scientology, as scary as they are. Do you do you feel that way at all? Definitely. And um, when I've talked about Islam, which is I'm trying to learn more, the primary reason I mostly talk about Christianity is because it's the one that I know the best. Um, like I know the Bible pretty well, and that makes it easier to debunk uh, sort of fundamentalist ideas. Um, but when I've talked about Islam, I've done so with the awareness that, say, the UK in particular has an Islamophobia problem. And I've done it with the perspective of, say, uh, a Muslim that I've talked to to see what you know, what, what is the best way of talking about this? And um, it's difficult because you don't want to. And I talked to, um, there's a chap who's got a channel called Secular Spirit who does some really interesting interviews with ex-Muslims and things like that, who is an ex-Muslim himself. Um, and we talked about how it's difficult because a lot of the time when you talk about Islam, you sort of feed inadvertently a lot of fundamentalist Christianity who, who tends to use Islam as an enemy. <laughs> and then, and you're like, I don't want to give those people what they want in terms of hatred, because that's not what I'm doing as well. I'm still just trying to treat this in a rational way as I do everything else. Um, so it can be, it can be difficult. And then I've talked about, I've talked briefly about things like Hinduism, um, some like smaller tribes, religions and things like that, where I think it's really interesting and cool to learn more, but I am definitely, because Christianity, at least, you know, where we are, is so much more mainstream and accepted, I find it much easier to be harder on 
people who use that negatively than on, say, a, the religion of a small African tribe, because uh, you don't want people to learn about that in an incredibly negative way for the first time. So there's an element of like being uh, more respectful in terms of other religions, but ultimately I want to treat them with the same regard. So if, if a story comes out that I would talk about Christianity and it's, you know, some, you know, religion that I do, it's Buddhism or something, then I still want to treat it the same way. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because you want to treat them all equally, but at the same time that if you do treat them all the same way, you're going to hurt, say, Muslims more than you would hurt Christians in a negatively framed video or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I actually really do. And then you've got another layer of complication, though, because I remember I interviewed on the, one of the few I did that touched on Islam was Yasmin Mohammed. And I kept saying in this interview with her, like, and of course, remember Christianity, Judaism, they have their problems. And then she just said, like, why do you keep, you know, I'm not going to do the accent. What, she's a Canadian. Why do you keep, <laughs> why do you keep saying that? You wouldn't say that for other religions. She was saying like, why do you not care when, you know, girls are tortured in the name of this particular religion? Whereas if it was a white girl, you would. So it gets so, com and I was just like, ah, you just, you just talk then. And I'm just going to sit here because whatever I do is going to be wrong. And I'm scared, I'm scared as well. I mean, I'm scared when I do Scientology. I'm scared when I do Islam. I'm less scared about Christianity, but maybe I, sh I don't know what the stats are around that. People sort of coming out and killing you and stuff. Uh, that, that's what I mean by scared. I, I think of Salman Rushdie. I really don't know. What we do is quite... Um, I'm not trying to sort of frame us as extremely brave people, but <laughs> it's a scary job, isn't it? Do you get scared ever doing that with, you know, having a go... Well, not having a go, but bringing down people's uh, beliefs? Sure. Um, I mean, again, the most sort of scared I've been has been more to do with the sort of incel or the anti-feminist kind of communities, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it, however kindly and respectfully you try to target something, there will be people who just see you as hating on them as, as an enemy. And yeah, people can be aggressive. I had at one point I had, um, you know, a forum of people making silly memes of my face and it sort of devolved into making up weird stories about my life and then, oh, she works at this company, do you think we could get her fired? And I sort of thought, oh, this could actually have real life consequences talking about this stuff. Um, it hasn't happened, I don't think it's happened on that scale since then. I've been targeted by strange people online, but that doesn't tend to have a sort of real world impact, if you will. Um, but the, the, there is an element of you, you have to be a little bit considerate of how people are going to view you because it, even if somebody could watch none of your actual content and see how you tackle things they could see your name and face in a list and be like right these are enemies of christianity you know and there's like a bit of oh should i do this <laughs> you know you when you get a certain flood of backlash on something you think i've yeah this maybe well I've, I've i've decided to do this now so here we are i we just we're just gonna live with the the vague risk of this and it's uh it's fine. But then when you look at, like I say, when I had that conversation with um, uh, um, Secular Spirit, Secular Spirit, I don't know why I went brain dead just then. Um, we were talking about uh, ex-Muslims speaking out and things like that and how most of them hide their faces because the risk of retaliation is so high. And I think, well, me, just a little white girl in London, the risk to my actual well-being is pretty low. Like the incels have to really mobilize to even vaguely affect me. And even then I did was send an email to HR being like, look out for these people. And they were like, cool. And that was it, you know? So in the grand scheme of things, I think I'm, pr I'm, I'm, pr I'm pretty secure compared to what a lot of people go through. And it, kind of part of why I want to talk about that stuff is to take the weight off people who are at more risk it's kind of why I like talking about platforming like trans issues and stuff like that, because, you know, being an ally means doing that from a safer position in some respects. So, yeah, there's there's an element of a uh, little bit of fear, I'd say. I don't know if it's something slightly less extreme than fear, but it's uh, it's not it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably this is your full time job now as well, is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So no HR calls or anything like that. You have anything? No, like I'm that. my own HR. That's how, so I, I'm all good. 
it's really it's really freeing i found it as as this has also you know become my own job as well that that fear that every, every most other people have i think of people i know in my life who are lawyers or doctors or training to be those things and the constant fear uh that oh i might do something in my private life that will get back to whoever and then now you're like i just this is my this is my i mean there is still the fear of getting some sort of warning and strike and community thing that can kick you off you know that's misunderstood and you get kicked off or whatever but we're, that's it's quite a nice uh freeing feeling um with atheism right is it important to spread that and does that become sometimes a bit evangelical it can it can and i think i i have issues with um what the sort of mainstream atheist community largely used to be which is the sort of angry atheist dude who just hates this and that and we gotta get our message out there i think that if we're kind of spreading anything, it should be, this is why I kind of like to treat it as more of an anti-fundamentalism aspect than a sort of strictly atheist aspect. I think we should be pro, you know, spreading rational thinking and contextual awareness of religions and, you know, all those sort of things, but maybe not necessarily atheism as a belief system, because it, in my opinion, it doesn't really, if you are a casual religious person who is respectful and kind to non-religious people and just all people then it doesn't matter whether you believe or not i'm not really interested in that person becoming an atheist if they're you know vaguely rational and and considerate and stuff so i think there is a fine line there and it's easy to fall into the trap of being a bit like we should just come on it's ridiculous stop believing that now um <laughs> which all that does is push people away and uh, I, I think if you can reach you know, I'm always satisfied if I have a comment section that has, I'm a Christian and I agree with this and I think you're right about this and that and I can uh, share yeah. this and this is how I try to spread this message because it means that the the core message that actually matters is reaching further than just, because otherwise all you're doing is spreading the same messages around the atheist community and patting ourselves on the back being like, yeah, we don't believe in God, good job. Um, so it's more about kind of you know the anti-fundamentalism aspect for me and sort of the pro-rationalism i saw um because i always thought like maybe it's maybe it's not necessary really to spread a you know just because i'm and we do all have that sort of urge you know you see a movie or you like breaking bad and you're like how can you not watch breaking bad i like breaking bad you must like the thing that i like and i wonder if there's some evolutionary tribal thing around that you know you're getting everybody to like the same things and have the same taste as you do and then you or maybe that's nonsense as well but um, I was watching something you were saying, you know, about living for now. And a lot of people might hide, for example, just LGBT. They might hide their sexuality or there was something about Jehovah saying, Jehovah's Witnesses saying, like, you know, don't be happy because there's another life afterwards, yeah. right? Yeah, um, there's, a, there's a lot of that in. And again, it's about kind of rational thinking. As soon as you are happy to put a little bit of trust in mainstream science and things like evolution and stuff it's easier not to get so swept up by those ideas of you know this is this is just a, a fleeting life on the plane of i was just talking about this in a video like today actually for um simon dan um and it was uh, these um evangelists on the jim backer show talking about how we're, we're we'll all live forever and this is just a horrible planet of sin that we're just briefly on before we get to the nice eternity. And I thought, this is probably why a lot of people don't care about the environment and things like that. And I think when there's like clearly some kind of real world impact or you might be hiding your own identity or living a bad life, I think it's, it's better to err on the side of this is the only life that we know we have. Let's make the best of it and try and do the best we can with it. Um, Again, that doesn't necessarily mean atheism, but it's, uh, yeah, there's some aspects of like core religious beliefs that that does challenge that I think should be challenged. But then, yeah, you, you try not to walk into therefore become an atheist um, and just sort of highlight the problems with that. Because there are many people that believe that, but also believe that, you know, their, their job on this earth is to make it as good as possible and have a really good time and be kind to others. So it's, possible to do that within religion as well i suppose also there are just looking at the other side there are some people who just have quite sad 
miserable lives through no fault of their own. It's just not great. Or even just people who have nice lives and things, but then they believe and it gives them some comfort. And I've definitely found myself saying to people who I've like argued for years with, like telling them, you know, God doesn't exist. And then they're mourning. So then I'll just be like, you'll, you'll see him again. And, you know, just because it's some comfort, right? And why would we, I guess, why take that away from them? Yeah, that's really tricky. And, and again, that came up in this video that I was just doing. So it's at the top of my head. One of the hosts, it was Laurie Becker, was talking about her mother um, had passed away and, and she was clearly still dealing with it, but she was dealing with it by saying, and she's so lucky she's in heaven. So it's great. And you don't, you don't want to take that away from someone, but you have to think of the, the implications of, say, teaching that to children who might not build you know the the processes we need to de to deal with grief and things like that that can again cause people's serious issues especially if you later come out of religion a lot of the reason i mean if you watch any kind of atheist call-in shows this will this will come up quite often a lot of the reason that people don't leave their faces because they're afraid of sort of losing people that they've already lost you know and i i it's it's very difficult because you you don't want to take away people's only coping method that's not it's not something you want to to do but at the same time maybe there's a teaching there that is you know preventing those people from getting different maybe better coping methods i don't know would would you then say um i don't know if you have children but if you had a five-year-old kid do, you know their dog died would you say it's gone to um, like the a parking lot in the sky? Why? Why is that a thing? A parking lot, or like a farm, or like or something? Yeah, the farm uh, at the end of the rainbow. Say, <laughs> yeah, or would you say like, listen, five-year-old child, um, he's he's dead. We've burnt, we've cremated. You know what? Would you say? I think there's a middle ground there, right? And it's difficult again because you don't you you don't really have that rational capacity to sort of understand things like death at that age but if you know if you use that opportunity to just sort of push it away and say everything's fine you'll see him again then they're sort of taking that on board for their adult life and i think a lot of the time pets are useful as a way you know family pets is, it's almost a way of teaching children to deal with grief and i think that you know understanding that somebody is gone can be very hard but their their life had meaning because it ended i think that that that's very personal that for, for me that's a big part of you know the meaning of life is the fact that it ends and and therefore filling it with all the joy that you can um and dogs lives are full of play full of joy um so it, it it's very personal i understand why people would be inclined especially because you don't want to upset your child when they've lost their pet especially because you're probably upset as well you don't want to be like they're gone, they're never coming back. That's the end of Fluffy. Maybe we'll get a new one in a week. But I just personally, I wouldn't, if I had children, which is not on the cards for me, um, but if I had children, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I would tell them that the tooth fairy is real, that the, the dog is in a, a farm in heaven, or I, I don't think I could because I, I feel like I'd rather set them up with tools to deal with those kind of feelings and set them up early, being able to deal with those things without necessarily needing to hold on to a specific belief, because again, that can be why people are afraid to leave their religions and stuff. So yeah, I would I would probably deal with it harshly per some people's <laughs> per some people's ideas, but I I think there's a middle ground where you can be less cruel about it. Do you do you fear death, Emma Thorne? <laughs> um I don't think I don't think I fear death. I think I, I mean, it, it's, it's hard because when you experience death, it's such a shock. Um, you know, it's, it's the realization that somebody you just, you kind of assumed would always be there is suddenly not anymore. That is really hard to deal with. Um, and one day that'll happen to you and how will other people feel and how do I fit enough into my life that makes it worth it? Um, I don't think I fear death, honestly, because I've done so many cool things and had such a nice time now and i think because there was a period in my young life where i was very unhappy having sort of blasted through that and felt actually i quite like being alive and i'm quite a happy person uh I, i've just kind of let go of that a bit i sort of feel like i understand why people 
fear death, the big question mark, the potential of just nothingness. You can't imagine not having consciousness because we are, how can that be? We don't understand how our brain functions well enough to, you know, know if there's some sort of soul, what is it that gives us that capacity for thought? And that makes death very scary. But I just, I don't know. I just don't really, I just see it as I've already had a pretty great life, to be honest. I've had some amazing moments. So any more I get is just a bonus. And and I'm I'm just excited to see what comes. And then, you know, then either I'll be gone and that'll be it. And I won't know anything or exist to feel sad about it. Or I'll get to find out what does come next. And again, either way is kind of a it's kind of all right. Probably the first one, isn't it? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny though. However, we all take these things on differently because I feel very similarly to you. Like I love life right now. I don't think I was that happy, and you know, not not for any particular reason, but as a teenager, maybe many of us aren't. For you know, I was all acne and spotty and horrible and lanky and whatever. Just wasn't that happy. And you, you know, a lot of people start to come into themselves, and it's like, oh, you know what? I love breathing. I just sometimes I sit there and I just go. <gasps> Oh, oh, because I can. And I know for the longest time, I won't be able to. So I just want to breathe and feel things. But it makes me even, I, I, I suppose, it, run, you know, contrary to your experience, it makes me even sadder that I'm that it's all just going to one day be gone. I, just, I, I almost wish I wasn't happy so they could be like, oh, well, just get rid of it all. Because the, the happiest moments when things are going really well with my life and my relationships and my family and friends and everything, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll have more of this stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, I understand that. It, it's it's not easy. Like we we don't know enough about life to to have any decent answers, and that's why, again, a lot of people fall into religion because it gives you a nice, easy, safe, comfortable answer to those questions. And you know, I, I have so much respect for a lot of people I know who have been deeply religious and have left that and have had to tackle these questions and accept that they don't. You know, I I. I believed in my heart that I was going to have an eternal life and now I, I I think I have a very short life and I don't know what if anything comes after but I'm I'm concerned with the truth and living my best truthful life so I'm going to move on with that anyway I think that's amazing and mad respect to everyone who goes through that but yeah I mean that's just life is inherently scary because it's got death at the end and I <laughs> think we just it's just something we have to learn to deal with Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think um, the way I do is that there's a very tiny bit at the back of my head that believes that we will have cured death by the time I'm like 70 and I'll be it, which they do say scientifically might one day be possible. And ever, some people say within 50 years, some people say that's like thousands of years away. Uh, and I know that's incredibly unlikely. And then you have to deal with the other problem, which is like, I, I think Hamlet, because I'm going to get all esoteric in this podcast i think hamlet's issue was like the only thing worse than than dying is is going to this other place and then being there forever uh and because then that's the next issue you've got and as you were saying you know you lose it loses meaning uh if you're doing it every day i, I still prefer that option though i would just i still prefer going forever than than nothingness what would you prefer forever or nothing or, or death like it probably is i always i mean i i'm always inclined to sing who wants to live forever? Uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's Mercury. yeah, it's tricky because I'm like, well, if I had the opportunity to say become a vampire or something and be immortal, would I, you know, would I take it? If they could, mm. if I could do like an altered carbon or something, would I, you know, keep keep on going? And then I always I get caught up. And maybe this is because I read too much sci-fi. But I get caught up thinking, what happens? Do I want to live forever and then I'm still alive at the end of the Earth or at the end of the human species? And then and then what? Yes. And then it. Do we just, and I, I think that's why the concept of, of heaven and afterlife tends to be, most people equate that as some sort of spiritual 
fulfillment, some sort of ultimate fulfillment that we can't possibly understand. Because otherwise, if it is genuinely carrying on as you are now, if you look at like a traditional sort of biblical Christian worldview where they, they remake heaven and earth and we just carry on living on earth in, you know, immortal form forever, like that's quite, I think most people probably struggle to believe that because it sounds like if I, eventually I'm going to get like bored or tired like you know like when you've had a really long day and you really like going to sleep you're like I can't wait to go to sleep I feel like life's gotta be like that at a point where it's like I don't think I could stand going on forever in terms of like our, our little human existence I think I'd love to live for years and years and see all the films that are gonna come out you know and read oh, all the books and things yeah but at a certain point that yeah. ends and then, and it's all going to be remakes in the end. So <laughs> there, well, it is a lot of remakes now. But the, the the humans would eventually have a way of living. If you, if you're talking about when the universe just dies out, right, or the sun explodes, we'd be so clever by then. We wouldn't need the sun for energy, and we'd be off in different places. And even when the last bits of whatever go, and and you know what, maybe because that, that is like trillions of years away when like everything's gone in the universe. So maybe that is the, the problem. Is like long term. I think you're right. Long term, you're like I'm done. I, I'm ready to go to sleep. But day to day, when you take like making that decision, that moment of like, okay, now's the time. No, I was just going to play PlayStation for. Going to play FIFA for five minutes. You know, there's. I don't know if that that could ever um, ever come. Speaking of the universe, by the way. So I want to. There's obviously questions you obviously get asked a lot. Uh, I doubt you have the answer to this because it would be quite um, quite extraordinary if you did. Where does the universe come from, if not from a deity? Oh, it's my. I have an answer for this. It's my favourite answer to every question like that, which is, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Scientists have some interesting answers, and every time I uh, try to answer with, oh, apparently this is the most likely theory, I get comments telling me that theory is now very outdated. There's a new theory that is the popular theory, so I'm not going to bother even... You know, Big Bang, Big Crunch has been and gone. The the rubber band sort of effect, I think, has been and gone. So who knows is the answer. I think read as much philosophy and sci-fi as you can to get lots of interesting potential answers and go, oh, it'd be cool one day if we knew. Um, but yeah, part, part of my sort of whole life mantra is being comfortable with saying, I don't know. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, and, and this is, again, the sort of, falls into the atheist agnostic question i think there's there's no reason that you can't believe that okay there must have been some sort of intelligence at the start of everything that you know that there must be something we can't understand outside of time and space that created things you know at least created atoms or whatever it's not atoms are way more on a quantum level now i think mini baby atoms or whatever <laughs> not a scientist <laughs> um <laughs> and uh, and i think a lot of people uh sort of reject atheism because they have that view of god and i think that that that's just a, a very slight difference in philosophy is that you know what someone might call god i would call potentially a science that we don't understand yet and and i think that's fine that's a fair enough belief to have it doesn't impact your daily life in any way the for me the question of how did everything start unless you are like a young earth creationist or somebody like that it doesn't really matter unless you have to believe that you know god made the earth in six days and there was no light there was nothing then well, you, you can kind of believe what you want about the origin of the universe and i i do slightly resent that so much of that especially young earth creationist apologetics is targeting scientific theories and like the the big bang and things like that because ultimately it doesn't really matter it's either way that that's i mean maybe one day this will this will be different but at the moment that's certainly not doesn't doesn't equal proof of god that's a that's a i, I dislike the god of the gaps kind of fallacy and that that comes up quite often and it, it kind of grates on me because the, the true answer is i don't know and i am happy with that i think that is mm. unfulfilling for a lot of people understandably but it's fine for me yeah see it's unfulfilling for me as well I, and i'll often get asked oh well so why don't you believe in god then and it's like well you can't choose what you believe in you just i know it just doesn't doesn't that doesn't fill the gap unfortunately but i'm still frustrated i'm still annoyed i want to know what how it happened and my my, my 
my guess is that even if it were explained to our faces, we don't have the ability to understand how it all came about. So we, I, I imagine we'll we'll never we'll never know. It is fascinating what you touched on about sort of how how religion has to keep up with science and it has to sort of change slightly. I've been exposed to that a lot of bit just in a, a Jewish upbringing. There are. I wasn't in an Orthodox family, but I know that the Orthodox people in certain parts of London, they've got these things like there, um, there's like wires above the ground. And if you're within that sort of square, you're allowed to do things like push a pram. Uh, what's a pram in American? Pram. Is it still a? A, a um, baby car. Yeah, a little baby car. I can't think. <laughs> yeah, you, you can push that on, a, on the Sabbath. Or whatever, because Friday night, and, and I had friends as well. It was just the funniest thing. I had a friend at school who was quite orthodox. I went to a Christian school, but he was Jewish, and he was a little bit orthodox. And um, suddenly, I would always forget. But Friday night, I'd give him a call, and he wasn't allowed to talk on his phone. Uh, and they didn't have phones in biblical times, so it's so funny to see how uh, they they have to sort of keep up with it and change things. And uh, also in Israel, they've got loads of because I've been to hotels and stuff, and their lifts, which in American is elevator, uh, elevators, there's always one elevator in most hotels that stops on every floor. So people don't have to get in and push the button to go because pushing the button is like a sin on the Sabbath. And it's really annoying if you accidentally get into that lift because then you're like waiting on every bloody floor to get out. But it's all it's all crazy stuff. And um, what about what about morality? That's another one that people always ask. How do we know what is right or what is wrong if God didn't tell us? Mm. And my answer for this is usually that at least at least and, and this is you end up again arguing sort of semantics and, and little specifics as soon as you get into this argument um it's sort of like depends whether you mean on like a, a macro or, or a micro level you know whether it's it's the individual things or whether it's the big things but i would say the the bible is a great historical source for how wildly our morals change societally and culturally look at the things in the old testament that the all-loving god uh, does, commands, congratulates people for, rewards them with slaves for. Those today are a lot of things that are morally repugnant to most people. So my question, I, I usually like to turn that question around and, and ask how, how, if morality is from God and morality is objective, then why are we naturally so morally, you know, opposed to so many of the things that say, God does in the Bible or, you know, humanity did years ago. Why, why were we fine with slavery and now we find it absolutely morally repugnant? So I, I think morality is secular. That tends to be how I f feel about it. I think that, you know, the, the clearest argument for that is just how morality changes so rapidly in society. I understand that there are certain things people would argue that there's certain like higher level sort of vague you know, uh, things like not murdering. But again, we've done a lot of murder throughout history and we find ways to rationalise it. So that's difficult as well. I don't, it's, yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, me and you might mo morally disagree on certain things. I think if, if it was imparted by a creator, if this morality was imparted by a creator, and it really is written on our hearts and we know when we do bad things. And people have said this to me about being queer and stuff like that i've said you know you you know in your heart that that's wrong oh. and it's like i i don't know how to prove to you that that's not true but it's not true my my heart just doesn't say that and uh and i just think it it it, it would be very bizarre it'd be a strange choice if morality came from god and yet we can still have such even within a specific society can have such different moral values it just seems strange to me and you can make arguments the argument tends to come down to the fall and this world is now because of original sin this world is sort of broken and that's why we all don't have the right morals or whatever but you can kind of make that argument for anything so i don't put a lot of stock in it to be honest i suppose it's a little i sometimes think of it as like we've all got this society it's like lord of the flies we've all landed on this island we've all got different preferences but we live in the same sort of society and we've got to make as many rules as possible that seem to most of us to be just and fair and nice i guess i, I that sounds a bit idealistic i guess i don't i don't know but um i i sometimes get frustrated with the because a lot of people would say then in response to you about the bible and the outdated morality of it that 
um, okay, well, you just take it with a pinch of salt. You're supposed to take some of the stuff and not the others. And then it's like, well, well which which bits then? And who's choosing? And then, it, then it's just you doing it. You didn't need the Bible then. I'd almost have more respect for them if they did just take the Bible by the letter. I'd just go, you know, at least you are standing by your thing. Go and stone adulterers and uh, have your slay. I mean, I'm talking tongue in cheek. I don't really want people to do that. But it just, it makes no sense to me at all to do that sort of yeah. pick and it's choose It's easier thing, right? to understand, isn't it, the literalist perspective, because they have the book and they say the book is divinely inspired and therefore everything in the book is true. Obviously, that has its own problems because the book contradicts itself in several places and then you contradict science and things like that. But it, it does make more sense than... It, it, it's hard because the thing is, and this is, I think, a major part of my sort of coming to a better understanding of you know, the Bible and, and texts like that is looking at them all as individual books by different authors who had different purposes. And some of them might have, you know, been trying to tell a really cool story. Um, if you look at how different, say, the Gospel of Mark is than like Matthew and Luke, you, you can kind of see this amazing three-act structure to Mark that is just not gone into too much. It's a telling of this dramatic story. And then you look at some parts that are just lists of names and just seems quite boring and sort of pointless and, and you know, different tribes. And you think, okay, this this might have been somebody trying to write down a sort of a, the most accurate history they could. And then there's combinations of that. Taking the whole Bible as one book, I think, is always a, a huge, huge mistake. And and so, so in some respects, I understand the taking some of it literally. And I think if you do that, if you can do that from a scholarly historical perspective with all of the appropriate understanding, which is not easy to do because we don't all read, you know, ancient Greek and Hebrew. Um, so you have to do a lot of work. In my opinion, if you're going to believe a book is the word of God and how you should live your life, then I think you kind of should put in that research. Um, also, it is just interesting from a historical perspective. Um, but yeah, I, I, I understand that if you do that properly, pr properly, my way, <laughs> if you do that properly from a sort of scholarly perspective and say, okay, this is this reads as allegorical based on other texts from the time and and this was you know this many years after the events it's supposed to you know detail and stuff like that then i think it, you can cherry pick in a reasonable way and i think that's sort of the most rational way to be a religious person but most people who do that kind of cherry picking have a very surface level understanding of the text if they've even read all of it at all and then it just tends to break down into this bad bit is a metaphor. This bit that I like and care about is very important. I mean, you look at like the laws of Leviticus and it's like, okay, so, you know, we're, we're not allowed to wear mixed fabric. You know, all of our cotton blend clothes should be as sinful as, you know, being homosexual. But I've decided that the homosexual law is very important and I need to campaign about that my whole life. The mixed fabric law, I don't care about. That's clearly not, <laughs> that's clearly contextual. That, that, is frustrating <laughs> okay because yeah. then if you look into historical context for both of those things you can understand why they existed for the people at the time but why they don't apply now and then you can cherry pick sort of with you know without too much doubt because you understand it better uh, cherry picking can work it's largely <laughs> just misuse <laughs> I had a writer on recently, a journalist called A.J. Jacobs, and he did this whole book where he decided to live like the Old Testament. So I think you'd like you'd you'd like him. I think he's a secular guy, but he decided to start praying and all these things. And he found exactly what you're saying. There were so many, so he did have to get. There's a specific person who comes to inspect your clothes to make sure that it isn't the mixed fibre. So he did all of those things. There's also like a lot of Orthodox people won't touch women. And they often, sort of just from my anecdotal experience, can look down on them a little bit. Some some Orthodox people, and I have to say some because I have had a lot of Orthodox people, you know, have rightly having a go at me, saying I grouped them all into one, and I have been guilty of that in the past. Um, and one of the things was that you're also not supposed to touch men, but that one isn't really taken on. Uh, but you're not supposed to touch men. Uh, but so he had to ask men before, like shaking their hand, when did you last issue seed? You have to ask those kinds of questions. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> touched them within 24 hours. And while he was doing it, his wife would just like sit on all the chairs at home to annoy him. So then he couldn't sit there for like 24 <laughs> hours. Um, so he had a really difficult year. Speaking of like subjective morality, so, so it does change as well. And I think that's okay. And 
you can just look at like Jermaine Greer or, you know, in 30 years, she's gone from, you know, being the, the sort of righteous one. And now she's like a bit of an outcast and JK Rowling and even less time that happened to her rightly or wrongly. And there's loads of opinions and things. What's, what do you, I guess you never see it coming. What's the next thing that, what's the thing that we're doing that is a, abominable by the future's standards one thing i'm thinking of i can imagine like my granddaughter or grandson or whoever uh marrying a robot and i'm a bit like ah oh, this isn't real you know i'm not going to that wedding and they're like grandpa you're such a bigot you know so what kind of i guess yeah what what do you think i saw somebody making a sort of similar statement a little while ago i think it was um jesse gender just sort of postulating for fun um the laws that we're making about ai and copyright and wondering how that if um artificial intelligence sort of you know we had the singularity and it sort of developed independent consciousness would suddenly there be this terrible legal precedent for their you know their their art not being able to be copyrightable and i thought that was such an interesting thing to say because you <laughs> you could never sort of predict that it's um it's interesting isn't it it's hard to know on a sort of you know a smaller scale you don't realize at the time what you're i mean when i was in school everybody was throwing around gay as an insult you know um and and at the time i well then glee came out and then everything changed <laughs> um but like you don't you don't realize when you're in it what is i i hope that the the sort of direction we're going just kind of continues where you know uh things like slightly more casual racism that is still around and stuff like that can you know we can sort of maybe more unanimously agree that those things are bad um but it's so hard it's so hard to predict i do think there's a an interesting case to be made for sort of artificial intelligence although i've also seen a lot of people say that that will never happen so i don't know maybe again i just read too much sci-fi and i'm too sort of hopeful but <laughs> yeah you sort of hope it and then don't it's like mm. like meeting alien life for the first time it's like you hope wouldn't that be amazing but maybe not um but yeah, I suppose it's, you know, people could, we, this very conversation might be being listened to in 200 years as an example of the disgusting morals of the time would be held up as like, you know, like slave owners or something that's just, and we won't know what, it, what would that be for something we said about like enjoying sci-fi, maybe enjoying sci-fi is like really rude in 200 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, you just don't know. It's funny. Um, tell me, Emma, where do you want to send uh, people and everything to go and look? People uh, can go and point their eyes at Emma Thorne videos on YouTube if they would like to look at things. And then the descriptions of all my videos have links to other things. I'm just Emma Thorne in most places. Uh, but watch out for, for scam fake Emma Thorns. Those have started popping up. <laughs> <laughs> I've had loads of those as well. They keep popping up. It's got my face on it and it's going, send me a WhatsApp. Do not listen to those. Unless it is, unless you know me, I'm a friend of yours and I'm saying this is my WhatsApp number. But otherwise, I'm not giving, Emma and I are not giving out our numbers to people. It's someone else who wants to scam yeah. you. We're not doing do <laughs> prize draws on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> things are not going well for our channels so we are, we've started prize draws uh and other things like, like that no um i've got oh i've got one last question actually but yes everyone do please check out emma's channel uh she's you know given up her time to come on here and she's done a beautiful job so please go show her some subscribing love and and all of those things and there'll be links in the description and the bio and all the things um do you see a future where religion dies out and then what would you and i do for a living it's tricky. I mean, I sort of, I, I kind of am on the fence on whether that could ever happen, whether I want it to happen. I think that, you know, a more rational species is better in general. Um, but I don't know, because it's kind of born from that need for community. So I think if, if religion goes away, there might just be something else that replaces it, you know, a bit like conspiracy theories and, and things like that. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine a world without religion. But then if you look at, you know, at least like the UK and stuff, well, some numbers are going up, but largely religious views are kind of trending downwards. So maybe I just I don't know. I find it I find it hard to imagine um, in terms of what we do for a living. 
there's always something there's always something bad to fight against so i wouldn't worry about it too much there's always someone who's you know starting their own cult and you know i think even if even if mainstream religion dies scientology will probably still be there so we'll just talk about that we can only hope we can only hope emma thorne thank you for i should just add i'm joking we're both joking we don't want scientology to continue no thank you emma thank you for being on the edge thank you Thank you, Emma Thorne, for gracing this here podcast with your eminence. She was fantastic. A lot of fun. Really, really enjoyed talking to her. I also have just been in an episode with her. I don't think it's out yet, but it will be soon. So go check out her YouTube channel, Emma Thorne, or at Emma Thorne Videos. She's really quite a lot of fun. And if you are really interested in religion and belief and race and atheism and agnosticism, she is the perfect channel for you. Just a reminder that if you sign up to patreon.com slash Andrew Gold before the 1st of February you'll get 20% off um, of a of a Patreon thing a membership I should say where you get all the episodes ad free or three each week because there's only going to be two on this this audio podcast now one will just be reserved for patrons I did a whole thing explaining sort of why in an announcement so go check that out uh, from last week if you if you want to know more about that but yeah I very much appreciate all you guys signing up and supporting it's really really helpful it's like a little tip at the end of the month as though I was serving you 12 or 13 hours worth of lattes for a tip of a few whatevers you get it um and yeah this thursday available for everyone common hughes who is a big big name in the whole sort of podcasting and philosophizing um, um, field and we got to meet in person in london just last week and had a great chat about race philosophy living forever uh, the royals <laughs> cults all sorts of things so i hope you enjoy that very much and i hope you enjoyed today's as well have a lovely week and end of january all of you hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.